this morning we are continuing, we're doing over the summer a series of sermons on the values of Green Tree Community Church. Uh, we call them sometimes, the, uh, within our, our leadership circle, sometimes we call them the, the pillars of Green Tree. Uh, it's not our mission statement, it's not our vision statement. Our mission statement is that we will uh, worship and enjoy the Lord Jesus by growing disciples and by renewing communities and by planting churches. That's our, that's our mission statement. But as you begin to get into the how does that play itself out in the life of the church, you get to our values. And so uh, we're going to have a series of sermons on things like stewardship and prayer uh, and leadership is what we're covering this morning. So th- there's a host of, of those values, and that's where we're going to be over the summer. Anton kicked that off last, uh, last week. And I have the topic of leadership, and I want to um, cover that this morning by asking a question to start off with. What do you think of when you hear the word leadership? When you think of someone who's, who's in charge, someone who's responsible to lead, what idea comes to your mind? If you want a technical definition, a technical definition of leadership is a process of social influence in which one person can enlist the aid and support of others in the accomplishment of a common task. The important part of that sentence is that the leader is enlisting the aid and support. It's not arm twisting. Leadership is not forcing someone to do something. That's coercion. But leadership is actually influencing others for a common good. So if you were somewhere in your English studies, how many of you had to read Tom Sawyer or got to read Tom Sawyer? You read Tom Sawyer? Remember how Tom Sawyer convinces his buddies that the greatest opportunity of their lives is to paint that fence, to whitewash the fence? That's leadership. So when you think about it, you might have positive images, you might have negative images. If you look at kind of the broader culture, you look at history, faces may come to your mind. So if you think political leaders, maybe think of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was was certainly one of the top three, if not the most impactful president in the history of our country. If you think about moral influencers and, and who, have, who are the people that have challenged us in the way we treat one another. Perhaps you think of Martin Luther King Jr. and, and just his epic battle for civil rights uh, in the last century. Uh, if you go to the question of faith, you might think of uh, Billy Graham, uh, who was the greatest preacher in the 20th century, or perhaps the person who most personified leadership uh, by serving the poorest of the poor. Maybe you think of Mother Teresa. If you go to pop culture, where does everybody, where did everybody go to get their answers, right? Oprah, I don't know what to do. Now that Oprah's gone, I guess I go to Dr. Phil and uh, because he could even give me a prescription, which might even be better than Oprah, I'm not sure. But, but there, there's a sense of, of, of leadership and in speaking into our culture. Now, we're from St. Louis. We're a baseball town, so you can't talk about leadership without talking about the Cardinals. Tony La Russa, whether you liked his managing style or didn't like his managing style, was an amazing leader. So this is certainly going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer uh, with uh, his success on the field. And then if you go to business, you might think of someone like Steve Jobs and the amazing uh, work that he did in technology with, with Apple in particular. There are leaders in all walks of life. And for some of us, the most profound influence in our life was by a positive leader. But there are others of us who have maybe experienced leadership in a negative light. So as we talk about leadership this morning, we want to look at it in the context of understanding that different people have different reactions uh, to the word itself, much less the idea of leadership. And and when you bring that into a church, it even can get a little more complex. 
I'm going to show you a video, a, a clip from a movie, and it's based on a true story. And the, and the speech that is given is a commanding officer talking to his troops before they go into battle in Vietnam. And the, the speech is historically accurate. It's not exactly word for word what this commander said, but it's close to it. And listen for leadership, not only in his message, but in his voice. Look around you. In the 7th Cavalry, we got a captain from the Ukraine. Another from Puerto Rico. We've got Japanese, Chinese, Blacks, Hispanics, Cherokee Indians, Jews and Gentiles, all Americans. Now here in the States, some men in this unit may experience discrimination because of race or creed. But for you and me now, all that is gone. We're moving into the valley of the shadow of death, where you will watch the back of the man next to you as he will watch yours. And you won't care what color he is or by what name he calls God. They say we're leaving home. We're going to what home was always supposed to be. So let us understand the situation. We are going into battle against a tough and determined enemy. I can't promise you that I will bring you all home alive. But this I swear. Before you and before Almighty God, that when we go into battle, I will be the first to set foot on the field, and I will be the last to step off, and I will leave no one behind. dead or alive, we will all come home together. So help me God. That scene is uh, from the movie we Were, we Were Soldiers, which was a book that Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore wrote, who was portrayed by Mel Gibson uh, in that scene. And uh, Moore was the first uh, commander to lead troops in air cavalry uh, in, a, in a full military confrontation against the North Vietnamese in the, Valley, the Battle of La, Trang, uh, La, La Drang in uh, November of 1965. And Morris had about 400 men under his command, and they stood toe-to-toe with 3,000 enemy combatants for a period of two and a half days, uh, which military commanders said was a, a victory. Moore later said it was a defeat. Because although they, they were not beaten, they did leave the field. But Moore was an amazing leader. And he inspired his men to follow. What does leadership look like in the church of Jesus Christ? 
Is it appropriate to have leadership? I mean, we, we, we call ourselves disciples of Jesus. We, we identify ourselves as servants, as those who are, who are to care for others, to put the needs above others. Is there even room for leadership within the church? And if so, what should it look like? Is leadership really essential to Green Tree Community Church? I want to explore that with you this morning. This is a topical sermon, so we're not going to be going to just one particular verse or passage in the Bible. We're going to be looking at a variety of different verses, and you'll see them on the screen as we go through. But I want to tackle the question in three different ways. First, is there a biblical foundation for leadership within the church? Secondly, what does godly leadership look like? How do we recognize appropriate leadership within the church. And then thirdly, because all of us in some form or another, every one of us in this congregation, myself included, are at times leaders, but we're also at times followers. And what is the proper response to leadership? So that's how we're going to look at it. Before we jump in, let's spend a moment in prayer. Will you pray with me? Father, we ask this morning for your presence in this place. Father, we, we don't ask presumptively. We don't uh, we aren't asking because we think you owe it to us that we've lived wonderful lives this week and haven't made any mistakes, so you owe it to us for our, for our deliberate effort to please you. Father, we ask, as children would ask a father, to come and to, to help us understand what it is you want us to know. Father, we're children, again, not because we deserve, but because you have adopted us into your family through the blood of your own son, Jesus. And his death on the cross is what paves the way for us to even open our mouths and utter your name. You are a great and awesome God. And we pray that you, as the great and awesome God who tells us to call him Father, would condescend to come and meet with us this morning. And through your grace and through your mercy and your compassion, you would open our hearts to what you want to teach us. Father, we pray that you would give us teachable hearts, that you would give us a willingness to hear, not my words, Lord, they're inconsequential, but to hear your eternal truth, that it would be applied to our lives, that, that when we leave this place, we go out into the world, whether we're interacting with one another uh, within the spiritual family of Green Tree or whether we are in our business or our school or our neighborhood, Lord, that we would reflect the beauty and the glory uh, that you bring to us through the Lord Jesus. Father, forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to learn this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, why is leadership a, a pillar of Green Tree? Why is it something that we highly value? The first question is, what's the biblical foundation for leadership? What does Scripture teach about this particular topic. Leadership is not the only gift that God gives to the church, but it is certainly one that he does give us and empower us with for the good of the church. So let's walk through a couple of different passages of Scripture. The first one is found in Matthew 28, and again, I'm, I'm shortening these down a little bit. So if you want to write the passage down and, and go read them more in, in the fullness, there's, there's a little bit more to it. But for the sake of what we could get on the screen, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he has risen from the, the dead. This is the risen Christ. And this is one of the last conversations he has before his ascension into heaven. And he says to the disciples, all, all authority has been given to me. Uh, the actual line is all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And he goes on to tell his disciples that he will be with them to the ends of the earth. But do you see the leadership in that statement? 
Jesus said, I have been given authority. The battle at the cross with sin and death has been won. My resurrection is the Father's endorsement of my lordship. I am now King of kings and Lord of lords. I have all authority in heaven and earth, and I'm passing that on to you in this way. Go and make disciples. Go and teach them to observe that which I have commanded you. Jesus himself says there is a necessity for leadership within the context of his church. There is a necessity for human leadership within the context of his church. And so he endorses and commands his disciples to go and speak authoritatively, not because they have any authority, not because it's their name or it's their presence that brings power to the message, but rather to go and to be confident in the authority that has been given to Jesus by God the Father. So I have gone and gotten a a, a college degree. I've gone and gotten a master's of divinity. I've gone back and gotten a doctorate. And all of that means nothing when it comes to authority. I am not the pastor of Green Tree Church because I'm a seminary graduate. I don't stand in the authority of Tom Ricks. Tom Ricks is just one other guy. It is the authority of the Lord Jesus that calls each one of us to establish within the context of his church a working order that allows for the gospel to go forward into the world. But not only is it endorsed by the Lord Jesus, but it's also a gift that he gives us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We just finished, if you're new this morning, you missed it, but you can go back and listen to all of them on, uh, on our website. We just finished about a two and a half year study in the book of Romans. And some of you may remember back in the spring, we were in chapter 12, and Paul says that everybody in the gift, all disciples have gifts, but they differ according to the grace given us. So in other words, leadership isn't the only gift. Some of the other gifts Paul mentions in this chapter are exhortation. Uh, he mentions serving as a gift, teaching as a gift, generosity as a gift. But he also says in this passage, let us use them, the one who leads with zeal. In other words, if God has given you through the, through the Spirit the gift of leadership, Don't back off of that. Don't be shy about it. We're not talking about arrogance. We're not talking about pride. We're talking about confidence that God has gifted us to use whatever he designs for us for the good of his body. So we can be confident that the gift of leadership, not only as it's spoken of directly by Jesus, but also as it's given by the Holy Spirit for the good of the church. So we go on and look at the the third part of this is that the gift is given. Why? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. In other words, if if those who have the gift of leadership don't exercise that leadership in the context of grace, in the context of, uh, of God's mercy through Christ, the church suffers for that. Disciples of Jesus are weaker because of that. The message of the gospel going out into our community, going out into our schools, into our our neighborhoods is weakened if those who have the gift of leadership don't lead because it's been given for the common good. Also notice under a biblical foundation that it's been identified by the apostle Paul. When Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them, each of the churches where they had gone and, and led people to Christ with prayer and fasting, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, every church we go and start, whether it's Ephesus or in Corinth or in Colossia, wherever it might be, in Rome, we want to make sure there are elders. We want to make sure there are leaders. Why? Because the church needs the leadership that God has given. 
he says to Titus, who is a very young pastor, probably in his 20s when Paul wrote him this note. And, and there's a New Testament book called Titus, and, and it's Paul's letter to a young pastor. And one of the things he says to this young pastor is declare these things, exhort and rebuke with authority. Paul isn't telling Titus to be heavy-handed. Paul isn't telling Titus to, you know, kind of puff his chest out and say, look at what a great leader I am. Paul's saying, be confident in the place that the Lord Jesus has brought you. And he's given you the gift of leadership. He's given you the gift of teaching and exhortation. Use that in confidence in what the Lord has done in your life. There is clearly a biblical foundation for leadership. I could, I could give seven or eight or nine other passages, but I'm not, I won't do that to you, even though it's cooler in here than it is outside. But trust me when I tell you that, that it's clear that Scripture calls us to not ignore leadership within the local church. There's a biblical foundation for leadership. Well, if that's the case, then what should leadership in the church, how, how should that work? Because it's one thing to say that the God has given the gift of leadership, but how does it work itself out in the life of the church? How do we recognize godly character in leadership? Let me give you a couple of thoughts here. The first is that I believe that, that Scripture says that a godly character of leadership will show itself in service and not in self-promotion. So in Mark chapter 10, I'll give you a little context here. Jesus has got his 12 little buddies together, and they're, they're walking down the road, and they're having a conversation. And two of them, named James and John, walk over to Jesus and say, Hey, Lord, can we, we have a little sidebar conversation with you? The other 10 guys, they don't need to hear this. Come on over here. We want to ask you a question. Jesus says, What can I do for you? This is, by the way, the Tom Ricks paraphrase, okay? You go back and read chapter 10, and you get it exactly right. They say, Listen, when you, when you win this whole deal, and we know you're going to win, you're the Lord, when you come into your kingdom... Um, we want to sit on your right and left hand. So John wants to sit on your right, I want to sit on your left. Promise us that you'll do that for us. Well, Jesus thinks about it for a second. He says, you know what? Why don't we call the other 10 over and let them in on this little conversation? So the 10 here, what the other 10 guys here, what's going on? And Scripture doesn't say exactly what the conversation went from there, but it says that the other 10 were indignant. So you can imagine. You can imagine Peter going, hold on a second. Did any of you other guys get out of the boat and walk on water? I know I started to sink, but come on now. I, you know, and, and you got Bartholomew saying, wait a minute. I went and found the guy with the two loaves and fishes. And you know, Thomas is going, well, I doubt that any of you would have any idea what it means to lead effectively. I'm good. Some of you are still awake, the whole doubting Thomas thing. Good. They become indignant. And Jesus says this. He goes, guys, you've been around the world too much. You know how it is with the world, the governors and the princes in the world. They lord it over those because of their authority. They're, they're heavy-handed. They, they make a big deal out of being the boss. And then he says this, but not so with you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. And then he gives the personal example when he says, and again, it's not on the screen, because the son of man, Jesus saying me, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, if you're going to lead in my church, and church, as you look around for who should be leading in your church, because we have a process at Green Tree where we nominate men to be elders, where we nominate men and women to be elders and deacons, and we need to be thinking in these terms, right? Who are the servants? Who are not the ones that are saying, hey, look at me, look at all the great things I'm doing, but who are those who are sacrificially giving of themselves in order that the good may be blessed. Did you listen to Hal Moore's uh, speech carefully? The most telling part of that speech was towards the end. 
You want to know what kind of leader he was? And it actually, this is actually how it played itself out in the story. His boot was the first boot to touch ground on the battlefield. When that helicopter came down into the battlefield, Hal Moore was the first one off the helicopter. And he was the last one to leave. And he didn't leave until every person was accounted for. That's servant leadership. Hal Moore was a man of deep and abiding faith. He was a man that, that believed the gospel. And if you, if you see that passion in a person that says, I, I want to give whatever I have for the betterment of the kingdom of God, and they have the gift of leadership, that's a servant leader. But they're also a leader that uphold biblical truth. Um, if you're visiting a green tree, you need to know very clearly that, first of all, anybody and everybody is welcome at green tree. We, we don't have a standard like you got to fill out a certain form and, and in order to come around here. You, you are welcome anytime and every time that we gather together in any form or fashion. We are thrilled to have all comers. But you need to know what we believe. And one of the things that we believe very clearly is that the Bible is the Word of God that the 66 books of the Old and New Testament do not contain truth, they are truth. And if the Lord Jesus was to walk in this room right now after we all fell on our faces and we got back up and sat down, if he began to teach us, he wouldn't say anything different than he's already said. We understand this to be God's inspired word. So when we read the Bible, it's not opinion. It's fact, it's truth, and it's given to us by a God of compassion, a God of mercy, so that he wants the best for us, and that's why he's given us his scripture, so we can stand firmly upon the truth of the Bible. So when Paul's writing to the Galatians, he's talking about an experience that happened between he and Peter, where Peter got off the path a little bit. Peter was, to to save time, let's just say Peter was a little bit hypocritical. He acted one way around a certain group of people, and then some other guys came in, and he started acting a little differently, and he wasn't following the truth of Scripture. And so Paul says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Now, Paul didn't have anything against Peter. Paul liked Peter. Peter Peter was one of the main apostles. They were were on parallel tracks in sharing the gospel. Paul had great respect for Peter, but Paul stood on biblical truth. And in that particular moment, Peter had gotten off a little bit, and he wasn't shy to say, Peter, come on back. Come on back. When you're looking for leaders, look for people who will not give on the fact that the Bible is true. And regardless of, of how we act, and how we, how, we, how we behave, we cannot ignore the fact that this is God's word. So when we get it wrong, someone corrects us. Someone loves us enough to say, wait a minute, we're not on that biblical foundation. But then also, there's one other aspect of this which I think is, is absolutely vital. And that is the godly character of leadership is always humble, but always vigilant. In, in 1 Timothy, Paul's writing to another young pastor named Timothy, and Paul is close to, to death. First and Second Timothy and Titus are his last books written or letters written, and they probably came within a year or two of, of his death, maybe even sooner when it comes to 2 Timothy. But Paul writes this to, uh, to Timothy. He says, The trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance is this, what? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. I hope I'm still saying that on my deathbed. If, if you find a leader that is arrogant and claims to follow Jesus, there's something seriously wrong. Now, it doesn't mean that we won't make mistakes. 
It doesn't mean that we, we will always get it exactly right. We'll, we're we're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes when we talk about a, a response to leadership. But every leader that reflects Jesus needs to reflect that humble spirit. How does Jesus start the Sermon on the Mount? We have a little quiz this morning. You get a cookie if you get it right. Blessed are the what? Anybody know what the first one is? Poor in spirit, right? The humble. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Leaders must understand their own sinfulness. They must understand that Jesus had to come and die for them. And if any leader of this church, this one first, ever acts in a way or speaks in a way that doesn't seem to appear that Jesus needs to die for us or for me, you need to have my permission to come and, and just take a Bible or something and smack me upside the head. All right? I need Jesus desperately. That is the gospel, and that must be seen in leadership. But there's also a vigilance, and, and I'm only putting one verse. I actually would really love for you, if you read any passage at all, go back and read all of Acts 20, where Paul is talking to these elders that he's appointed, and, and, he, and he says to them, pay careful attention to a couple things. First, to yourselves. In other words, when, when you're being vigilant, look at your own heart first, and then what? And then to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And a little later on he says, be alert. Humble, yes, but always vigilant, always understanding that there is danger out there. You're, you're, you're standing your post. You're, 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 you're marching the ground. You are the one or one of the leaders who's responsible for the care of the flock. Don't close your eyes for a second. Pay careful attention to what's going on around you because people's souls are at stake. You are, you're the overseers. You're the ones who must care for the flock of God. If you've ever seen the movie, uh, We Were Soldiers, or read the book, um, but it's especially depicted in the movie, you see how more at night, when everybody's kind of settled in and they're still trying to pay attention, and, and yet they're kind of getting drowsy, he's moving around. He's paying attention. He's saying, hey, let's sure this spot up over here. Hey, let's make sure these guys are okay. Do those guys have any water? Well, how much ammunition do you have? He's on the alert all the time. He's moving. He's acting. He's being a leader. And when we identify leaders at Green Tree Community Church. They must be people of action. They must be people who are vigilant about the spiritual care of this congregation. So we have a biblical foundation for leadership, and, and we have some pieces of information about the, how to identify the godly character of leadership. What's the response? Because as I said, we all at one point or another probably have some role in leadership, and probably all of us at one point or another have the responsibility of following a leader. Well, I'm going to start with the very beginning before someone becomes a leader and say, we need prayerful selection. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Again, we're back with Paul and Barnabas establishing elders in the churches. How did they do that? Through prayer and through fasting. Uh, about a year and a half ago, we had a weekend of prayer and fasting. You might remember right before Thanksgiving, right after we had, we had purchased the property on North Kirkwood Road and, and thinking about our future, and we need to continue to pray about that. Uh, lots of conversations going on right now about different options. We need to keep that in the forefront of our prayer time. Uh, we prayed and fasted, and that was a good thing, and we, and we need to do that more. But when's the last time that, that I said, you know what, as a congregation, before we nominate anybody for elder or deacon, we're going to spend a day praying and fasting? My bad. I got that marked out. I'm preaching to myself this morning. Next year, be ready for a day of prayer and fasting before we select our elders and our deacons. Paul's very clear that we need to be prayerful about it. Why? Because think of the risk of the damage that happens if someone who is not godly becomes a leader. It could be disastrous. Second response, though, is that we trust God 
by trusting our leaders. If we've done our prayerful selection, then we need, we need to trust that God has been sovereign and led us through that. But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each of them, as he chose. If you're a leader at Green Tree, and I don't submit to your leadership, but I believe that God puts you in that position of leadership, who am I dishonoring? Not you. I'm dishonoring the Lord Jesus. When I question you as a leader, when I say, wait a minute, I, I don't like that decision, and it doesn't have anything to do with the truth of Scripture. I just happen to think my way is the better way. It's not, it's not an essential of our doctrine. Um, you know, it, it's the, you know, I say to Chip, I didn't like that song we sang. Let's sing a different song. How could that possibly be honoring the Lord Jesus? Because he's the one who's arranged the body, including Green Tree Community Church. When we wisely trust our leaders, we are, exempt, we, we, are, we are living out faith in God's plan for Green Tree Community Church. Prayerful selection, trusting uh, God by trusting leaders. Beyond that, let's keep going. Appropriate submission. Here's an interesting verse out of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this as a, with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Um, we said this a little bit earlier, but, but submission to leadership, obeying leadership, that's a volitional choice. Leadership is only leadership when you agree to follow. When, when I coerce you to do something, when I guilt you into doing something, when I, when I pressure you into do something, I'm not leading you. I'm, I'm abusing you. Leadership comes when we say, let's follow Jesus. And here's where we believe he's going. And we agree that we will trust God by trusting those who are pointing the way and we will follow. Now understand, friends, we won't always get it right. We won't always agree with the direction. I can tell you in our elder meetings, if you want to come to an elder meeting, you can come anytime you want. We meet every Wednesday, third Wednesday of the month, except for July. We're off this month. Third Wednesday in July will be our next meeting, six to eight in the morning at the church office. Anybody can come that wants to. It's not the most thrilling thing you've ever done, but you're more than well. You got to bring your own coffee. We all bring our own coffee. But all those meetings are open. You can come and observe leaders. But I can tell you when we're in that room, we don't always sit down and go, oh, we all just agree on everything. Isn't it wonderful? We've never had a difference of opinion, and all the elders just think all the same thing all the time. Friends, we've had some, some really good debates in there. We've had, now, we've been respectful of one another, but we, we can go at it. I mean, wait a minute. I'm not sure that's right. Let's, let's come back and revisit that one. And we, we speak honestly with one another. But I'll tell you this. When we walk out of the room, we're together. And I would challenge anybody in this church to tell me when I've agreed or any other elders agreed or disagreed with a decision we made behind closed doors. You can't because God has graciously allowed us to honor one another in that respect. We're not always going to agree with each other even as elders, but we're called to respect one another and to follow one another. We're called to submit to one another as we follow Christ. It doesn't mean that the elders are always going to get it right. It doesn't mean that, that every leader is always going to make the best choice. We're not. We will make mistakes. But even those mistakes, even, even, even those disagreements can be used by God to grow us in our faith. Our culture says challenging authority, questioning authority is actually a virtue. You're naive and you're foolish to just allow a leader to lead without demanding explanations on every point. But I can't find anywhere in Scripture where that is a spiritual gift. I can't find anywhere in Scripture where we are called to judge leaders. You know why we're not called to judge leaders? Read this verse carefully. It's because God is the one who will judge. 
God is the one to whom we give an account. You want to know what scares me? You want to know what wakes me up in the middle of the night? It's not whether or not I'm impressing you guys or, or doing what you think a pastor ought to do. People say, are you scared to speak in public? I had a great speech teacher in high school that got me passive, but, but on that level, no, I, I'm really not. But you know what scares me to death? Is that there is an audience of one to whom I'm going to have to report on my life, and my work, and my ministry. Not in questioning my salvation, I'm saved by grace. And not by a demanding boss who's going to say, okay, well, you, don't, you, know, you have to wait outside the gate for two hours until you come in. When I close my eyes and see Jesus, he's going to say, welcome. But I will have to give an account. And the thought of saying to somebody who has given everything for you, yeah, I didn't do very well. I didn't work. You know, I just, I, I didn't care that much. Oh, my gosh. That just crushes my heart. And I, scared is maybe the wrong word. I'm not scared like God's going to judge me. But just the, the, the fear of not seeking to do all I could for his kingdom when he gave his life for me is, is a sobering scripture verse for me personally. So y'all pale in comparison to that. And I'm responsible to, to do all I can to point you to Jesus. So would you do me a favor and get your act together, please? All right? <laughs> a little joke there. Hang with me. But you see where this is going. Gracious submission to leadership. Because God's judging. He's watching. He's caring for all of this. Which finally leads Paul to say, pray for me. And, and I think that's, that's one of the best things we can do in responding to leadership is pray for those who are in leadership. Whether they're leading the kindergarten Sunday school class or whether they're the pastor or an elder or whatever, those who are, who are in leadership responsibility, pray for them. One of the best things that happens every week at Green Tree, at noon on Wednesday, several people come in to the office and they sit down in the conference room and they pray for Green Tree. And I know I get prayed for every Wednesday. And that's what a blessing. We all need to be praying as a proper response. What's the net effect of this? What if we don't do it or if we do it, if we don't respond well to leadership or if we do respond well to leadership, what's the net effect? The net effect is this. If, if we ignore the need and the biblical mandate for leadership, we create a culture of mistrust, of disunity. We're distracted from God's mission. Remember our mission. Remember our marching orders. Go into the world and make disciples. We'll be distracted from that. We will be ineffective in leading others to Jesus. And in short, without, do, without working all that hard at it, we could ruin a perfectly good church if we do not understand the important value of leadership. But if we do, if we embrace God's direction, I believe that through the Spirit of God and the power of His Word, there'll be unity and peace. We'll be able to focus on God's mission. We'll be able to say, who doesn't know, and how can we help them meet Jesus? And we will develop trusting relationships with one another that point people to the Savior. I believe that although leadership is not the only value at Green Tree, it is a key value. And if we exercise proper submission to one another in the Lord, he will guard our steps. When I got ordained in, in, uh, in 1994, I had to answer 11 ordination questions. Uh, and they kind of go on and on and on and on. And, I, and kind of raise your right hand and, and answer these questions. Question number seven is actually the shortest question of the 11. And it goes like this. Do you promise subjection 
to your fellow presbyters in the Lord, your fellow, fellow elders, okay? So are you willing to not, like, try to be the boss all the time, and will you willingly subject yourself and your decisions and the way you go about work to your other elders? Will you follow is the question, okay? So that's 1994 July. Fast forward to uh, early spring of 2000, and I had just gotten a call from Dave Cover, who was a guy we recruited to plant the journey down in, or excuse me, the crossing down in Columbia, Missouri. And David called me on the phone. He says, Tom, I'm so excited because I just got off the phone with Keith Simon, who I didn't even know who that was. And he's agreed to come be co-pastor with me at, at, the, at the crossing. And we're ready to go. We're off and running. I'm like, well, Dave, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who's Keith Simon? We co-pastor. We, we only have so much money. We can't, we can't do that. We can't afford that. That doesn't make any sense. And, you know, you look at every organizational chart in the world. Where have you ever seen co-leaders in, in anything? It, it won't work. And Dave said, well, we, I got to do it that way. Keith and I, have, have this has been our dream. And when you came to me and you told me about this and, and I started praying about it, you know, I just felt the guy was just saying, Keith's part of this, Keith's part of this. So I go and I have a conversation with Scott Holly, who, who is an elder here, and, and, we're, and we're saying the same thing, you know, two-headed monster and you just never do it this way. And, and after a few minutes of talking, Scott said, well, you know what? Maybe God's just doing something in this that you and I don't see. Well, let's trust what he's doing. Let's trust that Dave's the right guy. And because Dave's the right guy, Keith's the right guy, and, and let's, just, let's just let God do this deal. Now, I had an opportunity there as a pastor of Green Tree Community Church to lead that deal one way or the other because my elders are very gracious to me, and they, they give me like a vote and a half. And I could have said, you know what, no, I just it won't work. We're not going to do it. And that's what I started to say, but something clicked in my head, and I think it was probably the Holy Spirit, and just said, you know what, I'm a follower too. I'm not just a leader. Scott, if you think that's that's what we ought to do. Okay, let's go with it. And there are people sitting in this room today that became Christians at the crossing. And in a sense, you owe your soul to that conversation. You owe your soul to godly leadership, not to me, not to Scott Holly, not to Dave Cover, but to a God who would organize his church in a way that would provide leadership that reflects the heart of Jesus and cares for a lost and dying world. May God always give us leadership at Green Tree that reflects his heart. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you care so much for your church. And, and you call us to trust you in our relationships with one another, especially with our relationships with our leaders. Father, you, you remind us in Hebrews to, to make uh, the leaders work a joy to them, not a burden. Father, I thank you that, that, that in so many ways at Green Tree, it is a joy to serve as a pastor here. And I know that the elders would, would reinforce that and say in many ways it's a joy. But Father, more importantly than that, we pray that you would give us uh, a heart for biblical truth when it comes to leadership, that we would always seek to identify what you say is good leadership and that we would, we would follow that pathway. Lord, I pray that you would protect our leaders from ourselves as well as from the evil one and, and from good intentions that go awry. Father, I pray that you would watch over this flock. Lord Jesus, you gave your life for the people sitting in this room. I pray that you would, you would make the leaders of this church humble, faithful, vigilant, gracious, uh, that, that they would be, that we would be easy to follow because we have the humble heart of Jesus. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And we pray in your name. Amen.